Afternoon, everybody. Oh, no! Norman. Norman? What's up, Norman? My nipples. It's freezing out there. Now, how come you and Vera never had any kids? I can't, Coach. Gee, I'm sorry, Norm. I look at Vera. I just can't. <laughs> Welcome to the Geek Generation episode 131. My name is Rob Logan, and joining me today over the Skype all the way from Los Angeles is Caleb Bacon. He's currently a writer on Sullivan and Son, which starts its second season in June on TBS. He's also written for shows like Deadwood, Big Love, and Animal Practice. Caleb's also the host of his own podcast called Man School, which I highly recommend, and it's actually the reason that I had Caleb on the show today. You can check that out at manschoolshow.com. As always, uh, this show continues to run due to the generosity of our listeners. So when you are doing your Amazon shopping, please head over to thegeekgeneration.com slash Amazon and do all your shopping that way. That'll give us a little kickback on any purchases that you make. Also, don't forget that we are selling t-shirts at thegeekgeneration.com slash store. And you can go over there and pick up whatever seems to grab your interest. And now my conversation with Caleb Bacon. I'm in Milford, Mass. So I'm like 40-ish minutes from Boston. So is that like a Worcester-ish area or a different yeah. direction? Yeah, yeah, right by Worcester. Okay, sure. I know the Mass Pike well. Oh, okay. <laughs> and you said you had been out in the East Coast for a while, right? Um, yeah, I'm from Albany, New York. Oh, okay. Which, if you take your Mass Pike two hours west, that's where you'll go. Yeah, I actually go to uh, New York at least once a year for New York Comic Con. Oh, there you go. Yeah, um, although I love the East Coast, uh, but uh, I also love Los Angeles, so yeah. <laughs> I've been out here for nine years. Wow, really? Yeah. So you moved out nine years ago, and was it to pursue or because you had a job lined up? Uh, it was a little bit of both, but I, I basically found out that uh, I was really in the mood for good times and good weather Yep. after like both growing up and going to school in Albany, New York. So okay. it was just like, all right, let's get out of here. And then I found out I could get an entry-level job on a TV show. And I was like, all right, that's cool. It was a short-term commitment, but, yep. I was, but I have some relatives out here and got to live with them for a little while and figure out life. Wow, that's great. What show did you start out on? I worked on the pilot for Big Love. Oh, okay. Which was like shot like a year or two, I think, before it even came out. Yep. So that was what, 2004? Wow. Yeah. Uh, then I worked on Deadwood and I worked on a whole bunch of other HBO hour shows for pretty much, pretty much a long time. It's crazy just to think that 2004 was nine years ago. <laughs> I know. I know. It's weird. I remember um, since, since this is a geek thing, can I talk about a geek thing? Oh, absolutely. All right. So I was working on the show Deadwood. I don't know if you ever saw it. I haven't uh, seen it, but I've heard of it. Okay, well, it's uh, it was just a great, great show to work on, and uh, there was this one director who's a really tech savvy guy, and he was like the first one to have the Motorola Razor flip phone. Okay, and that was like that was like the phone everybody coveted. I remember when we were working on that show, you know, there was uh, 
it's just sort of interesting, like for me, like working on these uh, big, expensive television shows here in Hollywood with all this technology surrounding us with, you know, cameras and everything. But yep. then, but then, like looking back, and it's just like a few short years ago, like that was the thing that everybody thought was so cool. Right, right. <laughs> it, the the razor. Yeah, it was it was slightly wider the screen. It was super thin, and yeah, but it was not a smartphone. True, true. Yeah, it was like, oh, you can, oh, you can send nice looking text messages. <laughs> Man, the world before text messages, back when it was just AOL Instant Messenger, and you had to be. <laughs> it's also interesting, like um, on Hollywood TV shows now, it's like everybody uses Apple. Yeah. So I mean, it is just a giant Apple orgy out here, and I've been like the weird guy because. Because I just switched over from the BlackBerry. I've had a MacBook Pro laptop for a while, but it just but now I have an iPhone. So it's like now I'm not the leper. Yeah, yeah. I know. I recently just switched over too. I'm actually when I'm noticing on TV lately, I think Microsoft's going with the big push now because I always see the Windows 8 tablets popping up on screen as like that quick glance at the OS before they use it. Oh, okay. Oh, that would make sense. Yeah, I know Apple tries to have a lot of good relationships with TV shows to get their products out there, but it's easy because everybody wants to work with Apple because we all already use Apple. Sure, yeah. Although I'm a PC guy, I'll be honest. <laughs> I oh, you are a PC guy? I okay. am, yeah. I have an iPhone, but I'm, I'm definitely primarily PC. Now, is that a video game thing? Uh, it probably was to start with, and I think it's just habit at this point. I actually had to get an Apple laptop for college because I was a graphic designer, and they required... I When I went through that program they only had photoshop and everything for mac it was the switch over like while i was in college that it became both os's but using both i just prefer the pc and i think it is more habit than anything yeah fair enough that's uh that was my take before i switched okay so let's talk about man school for a minute because i i would love to i'm a big fan of the show i really enjoy what you're doing thank you um you've had shows so far there's one uh, guy's been kidnapped you have one about getting your dream job, about uh, someone dealing with cancer, about someone dealing with fear, and a lot of pretty heavy topics in there. And one of my biggest impressions or the things that I'm most impressed by is how you've collected this group of people with such a wide amount of experience. Oh, thank you. Um, I feel like it's all going to be downhill from here <laughs> because, because I spent like a couple of months putting the idea for the show together. Mm -hmm. And basically, I wanted to do a show where like every episode I would showcase some guy sharing some amazing piece of life experience. And w like you said, whether that's something that happened to somebody like getting brain cancer or getting kidnapped, or also like what it's like to deal with problems with your own personality, like uh, an episode with uh, a guy who's so competitive he has to be the best at everything, mm -hmm. and like how that screws his life up and helps it. But like uh, for a lot of these episodes, I had the idea in advance of like, oh, here's a guy I know with a great story I want to put on the show. Hmm. And uh, so I feel like I've got to do a bunch of those. Now it's like, okay, I got to put some more work in now. Got to find stuff. Yeah, yeah. Have you come close to exhausting your really big stories of people that you know? Or no, no. But there was definitely like uh, four or five of the early episodes where those were like the ones I definitely knew I wanted to do. Yeah. Or like uh, the one that was my na called my NASA dream job mm -hmm. with a friend of mine who works on the Mars rover. Uh, I thought that'd be a really cool episode, but I didn't realize like at one point he was living in his car like in grad school because he just did not have his his stuff together. Yep. And 
I just didn't realize this story had like such a cool arc. So that one came out better than I hoped. Yeah, that was a really great episode, too, because it, it was one of the first ones that I noticed and actually one of the uh, biggest standouts of one where there wasn't some big thing that the person had to deal with. It was actually just taking where you are and striving to get to the next level. So like not trying to overcome, but just trying to accomplish. Yeah, that's, that's a good way of looking at it. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like a lot of life experience for everybody is not just about overcoming. It's just about like, how do you do what you want to do? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Be who you want to be. So I want to try and have all those different experiences on the show. But the, the you know, the thing that's kind of the the connective tissue between it all is just uh, some honesty and vulnerability and hopefully entertainment. And it's very entertaining. I'm enjoying every episode so far. I even like the uh, the extra credit, the little quick stories. Those are nice little throw ins here and there. Oh, cool. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, people seem to be liking it, but I haven't. I mean, the downloads are good. I just haven't heard a lot of feedback. So this is good feedback. I like it. Oh, <laughs> I'm glad I can have active feedback here. It surprised me that you don't get a little more feedback, although as a listener that hasn't really sent in anything, I'm just as guilty as anybody else. <laughs> um, no, I've got a lot of good feedback, but not on the extra credits. Oh, OK. Um, I just, just like, yeah, 10 to 15 minute little bonus episodes I've been doing. Yeah. And I like I like uh, the uh, meeting your heroes kind of theme that's gone through a few of them. That's very interesting to me because I've heard that word of advice too, is you never want to meet your heroes because what happens if they're huge assholes and then whatever it is you liked of theirs kind of becomes tainted. Sure. Uh, now, have you had a chance to meet any of your heroes? I don't know if I would necessarily call my heroes as in like my idols, but I've certainly gotten access to people that I'm fans of. For instance, I got to meet Chris Hardwick on several occasions Cool. Uh, after seeing his stand-up show and... Um, and he is just awesome about meeting people afterwards. Like he always says that he'll stick around as long as necessary. He will. It's insane. Like him and Jonah and Matt, they'll all hang around and you can talk to them. They don't rush you through. Like I've talked to him for like five minutes because we were talking podcasting and everything. And he's been uh. incredibly generous with his time. And then after a while, you almost feel guilty because you're starting to take up too much of his time. So you just <laughs> kind of pass it off and leave. So that was great. But then um, another guy, uh, Eddie McClintock, I don't know if you're familiar with him. I don't. Okay, he's don't the male lead on Sci-Fi's Warehouse 13. Okay, I know that's a show. Yeah, <laughs> it's their sure. highest rated original show, I guess. And uh, I met up with him a couple years ago at New York Comic Con. And after getting an autograph, I asked him if he'd be willing to do an interview. And most people will brush you off right away. So he said, well, come back. The line's kind of busy right now. Come back, like, I don't know, this afternoon, and we'll see if there's time. So I thought maybe that was the brush off, but I stopped by anyway. And as I talked, when I came back, uh, he was he just welcomed me right in, sat me down next to him. We had a chat and recorded it for like 10 minutes. I aired that on the show, and it was wonderful. He was a super nice guy. Oh, great. Uh, that's cool when that happens. Yeah, that's uh, I think the rule on meeting your heroes is that usually they don't say, hey, let's do a special interview later. But right, when right. that happens, that's pretty <laughs> nice. Oh, absolutely. Now, you haven't since you're generally the interviewer on your show, you really haven't had the chance to share that many of your experiences. So uh, have you had that opportunity as well? Uh, as far as meeting my heroes goes? Yeah. Um, you know, I guess I don't have a lot of heroes or I guess. OK, for me, my heroes are like short term. Like people who I have some kind of like obsession with for like four or five years. I get that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then by the end of it, it's like, OK, when I was uh, 13 and the movie Clerks came out, mm. 
Kevin Smith could not have been higher up there for me. And then when Mallrats came out, me and my buddies would watch it like every day after school. Like I was all about Kevin Smith. Yep. And then about like 10 years later, I had a chance to meet Kevin Smith. And it was like, oh, this is cool. But at the same time, I don't have that same relationship with the guy. Sure, sure. Yeah, I definitely went through a Kevin Smith phase myself. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I, I had a bunch of people like that or... Uh, uh, who else? I mean, I've gotten to work with a lot of cool actors out here, and I mentioned recently on my show, like Dustin Hoffman and Tom Hanks, and like like working with those guys, being around those guys was very cool, and I have loved them for a long time. But they were never like, it wasn't ever like, oh, I want to be like that guy. Sure, sure. I've done a, a bunch of sports writing for baseball, and I've gotten to interview a bunch of baseball players. Oh, really? I haven't done, I haven't done this so much recently. But uh, let me tell you, if your heroes are baseball players, you probably don't want to meet them because they're pretty <laughs> dull. Oh, yeah? They're just, uh, I don't know. I mean, uh, for, for whatever reason, they're just not very good talkers and a lot, on, on the whole. I mean, a lot of them are nice enough guys, but they're, you know, they didn't go to college. They, mm -hmm. like a lot of athletes, they never had to really do, do the school thing because they were working on their athletic game. Well, yeah, they're not being paid for their personality. They can just flex a muscle and get the ladies in that way, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, but I got to say, just kind of like, uh, I don't know if you know baseball too well, but covering the Dodgers a few years ago, being around Manny Ramirez in the locker room was just pretty special because, I mean, I only talked to him a little bit, but just, just such like a crazy, eccentric, like great player from my lifetime, just like being close to that guy was like, oh, this is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Just getting the access. And I'm curious, too. Uh, that actually goes right into something else I was going to talk about. Uh, this isn't your first podcast either. You had one prior to this, the uh, Gentleman's Club, right? That's right. I, yep, the Gentleman's Club. I did that from 2009 to 2012, retired it. Uh, it decided to do band school. And one of the things that I was going to ask you is why you decided to start, why you started podcasting to begin with. I know one of the reasons I did, and it's kind of something you were just touching on, is not only is it just fun to do, but it gives us a certain kind of access that we never had before to meet those people that we look up to. Is that one of your reasons or do you have others? Well, when I started doing it, I realized I was like, oh, this is a really good way for me to network professionally. Hmm. Because so I was working on these different television shows uh, as a as a writer's assistant, which is like uh, it's like a junior kind of writing position where you get to have some creative input, but you also have to like take notes and do things like that. And uh, so there's like clerical components to it, basically. And I realized like in I think in Hollywood, like half of how you get jobs is networking mm -hmm. and not in the sense of like, hey, here's my card. Let's let's chat sometime. But more like when you work on television shows, it's very long hours. So people pretty much only want to work with people they like. Right. So if you have like a relationship with somebody and they think you're good at what you do, there's a better chance they're going to hire you. And so I started realizing with the podcast, it was like, oh, you know, I could interview more people who write comedy and that might be able to help me with networking and that sort of thing. And so that was, uh, yeah, so that was actually part of it. But, but then in terms of access, I used to interview a lot of porn stars on that show. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that, too. That's uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I was curious how you even get into that area and that community to even start interviewing them. Well, but basically what I found out, like porn stars would come to my apartment in Hollywood. It was like, oh, I should do a lot of this. This is really crazy and pretty fun. <laughs> and so that was a whole different type of access. Like, I just didn't know that was like a thing I could do. Now, how do you, again, how do you like even reach out? Like, 
uh, like we're we're in a similar group on Facebook and everything, and uh, there's a nice little networking community over there. But normally getting guests is like pulling teeth. Well, for me, like uh, the fact that I'm in Los Angeles helps because a lot of people are willing to do in studio guest spots. Oh, okay. I, I think you in Massachusetts might be a little bit tougher. Or I mean, if you go to if you go to your New York comic convention, that probably helps things. Oh, absolutely. But so there's a lot of people who are happy to do in studio stuff, and I, I personally I prefer it whatever I can do it. But I think uh, also just because I was doing some journalistic writing and things like that, I there were some publicists already sending me press releases, and I used to have a co-host when I started my last show, the Gentleman's Club, and. He had gotten a bunch of like adult video press releases. Okay. And we just wrote back to one of these ones from Adam and Eve saying, Hey, we'll interview someone from this film if you want. And they got a Caden Cross to call us. And it was like, Oh my God, I'm on the phone with now, I don't know if you're familiar with her work. Of course not. You're a you're a, <laughs> you're a gentleman. Oh sure. Uh, she, but uh, she was like so cool on the phone and and then at which point I started to do try and do all in studio interviews. It was like, I'm going to email Caden, see where this goes. Wow, that's really cool. Yeah. And it, like another one of the first porn stars I interviewed, I just like sent her a tweet and she came over a few days later. So, wow, that was pretty cool, too. Sometimes it is easier than you would think it would be. Oh, yeah. That's the other thing. Like uh, some people will just like totally blow you off. And it's like, why are you blowing me off? Like, this is good for you. Oh, yeah. How, how dare we want to give you publicity? Yeah. So it's weird with some people. But uh, but also what I found with my old show is I interviewed mostly comedians and porn stars. Mm-hmm. And they're the people who like attention the most. Mm-hmm. So they were going to put more work into doing appearances. Yeah, that makes sense. Maybe I just need to change my scope of who I'm talking to. Well, one of the big things I think with podcasting is you got to do what you're passionate about. And if you're doing exactly what you're passionate about, don't change it. True. Yeah. And I, I thought it was a really bold move, actually, for you to abandon three years of what you built up. And granted, it's still out there and still available. But at the same time, that is not an easy decision to make. Like there are some times I still like doing the show a lot, but there are times where it becomes a lot of work. And you're like, if I wanted to stop, could I even do that at this point? Is that an option? I know. I really I really beat myself up over it because there's no rules for this stuff. Like, Nobody tells you what to do or like what you even should do. I worked on a TV show last year called Animal Practice on NBC. Oh, yeah. And there was a point where they canceled the show. They said, okay, everybody's last day is tomorrow. You're packing up. You're leaving. Like, that's how I knew that experience was over. Wow. With like with podcasting, most most people are not on networks where they're going to get canceled. And uh, so it's basically I had to like figure out like all the pros and cons of what was going on and deciding to stop doing it on my own. And ever since I've like been encouraging other people, like if you're stuck with your podcast, you don't have to do it or you can just take a break and try and like clear some creative space in your head to figure out what you should do next, whether it's the same podcast, change things, uh, go paint a painting or, you know, something else entirely. Yeah. And sometimes a little break or, or a restructuring is absolutely necessary because people complain all the time. Why am I not getting more exposure? Why am I not getting more listeners? And yet they'll never change the formula of what they're doing, which is basically, I think it was Mark Twain who said the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. <laughs> sure. So you're insane, Rob? I am. I'm quite insane at this point. Yeah. <laughs> now, how uh, 
are you, I mean, uh, I don't know if you want to talk about this, but are you happy with how your show is doing, with how it's being received? Um, honestly, I, I am, I'm happy with the product I'm putting out, and I'm not entirely happy with the size of the audience that we have. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. And, and again, I don't, I don't know necessarily what I would change. If there was anything I would change, it would be having on more people uh, and branching out that way. Like, that's always a good thing. Shows that are guest-heavy, I think, get a bigger listenership because then the guest shares it then a few more people are exposed and then etc 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 but what we do is kind of just us most of the time and i only reach out when i'm really interested to talk to someone else you know that's that's the little compliment i'm throwing in there yeah oh i feel honored thank you uh here's an idea i will give you this is uh i think for shows that that don't have like big guests and i mean i'll happily promote the hell out of this interview. I appreciate but, it. But <laughs> uh, I don't exactly bring like a Chris Hardwick size audience. Um, I think you got to like, I think podcasters have to think about doing different things and like really kind of thinking about some kind of like fun, weird stuff. Like if you went to the New York Comic Con mm-hmm. and you passed out little flash USB drives yep. with your podcast, the logo Geek Generation, all of a sudden that's pretty memorable. True. Very true. Uh, you know, it might cost a few bucks, but you do something like that. Uh, You'll you'll create some kind of relationship with potential future listeners of uh, people who should be listening to your show if they're at New York Comic Con. Right, I know, right? We've done little things like that here and there. Like we have uh, the rubber wristbands because most people hand out business cards. So we said, hey, we'll get some of those rubber wristbands that have our name and our address on those. So we take a lot of pictures of cosplayers and stuff, and we'll hand them out to them and everything. And that's been oh, that's great. That's been pretty well received. And we've tried doing some other things here and there. Like uh, there's there's a couple companies that will do movie screenings and bring them to your town as long as you can get enough people in the seats. And we tried to run one, but I don't think our audience was big enough to really get it done. Uh, but it was it was it was supposed to be like a, a two way kind of promotion thing. And we're constantly trying to come up with those little like extra quirky ideas. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, so what? What am I telling you this stuff for? You're you're already way ahead of me. <laughs> I I like to think I'm thinking in the right direction. It's just not everything always comes together as you plan. Sure. I, I think the biggest thing is you just got to keep doing it. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm still enjoying it, so there's no reason to stop. And that's really what the key thing is. Good. Good. You don't sound like you're falling asleep on this interview. No. So that's good. <laughs> no, not at all. Um, but let's talk about your job a little bit more. Okay. Uh, you are a writer right now for Sullivan and Son on TBS. Yep, sitcom on TBS. Uh, season two comes out June second. That's awesome, and I—I'll be honest. I'm not going to bullshit you. I haven't seen the show, but I am a huge fan of Steve Burns' stand-up comedy. Cool. So I would imagine, like, I—I didn't even bump into the show. I don't watch TV normally. I do it all through online sources. So to have, um, I don't see commercials or anything normally. So it's rare that I'm even exposed to new shows unless someone really likes it goes oh you need to watch this but i'll i'll check it out because i do like steve Byrne. cool yeah it's one of these things where like television and actually all of entertainment is just so segmented these days yeah like we would have two and a half million people watch an episode of season one which for a cable show thursday nights 10 o'clock is a, that's a lot of people but at the same time like uh I, and i would say there's probably a similar audience to like Mad Men. yeah but it's like i think it's all about like who is watching the show that you talk to? I wa- I I talk to a whole lot more people that watch Mad Men than watch Sullivan and Son. So I don't I don't hear all these people talking about Sullivan and Son, but it's like the same amount of people that's out there. Whereas I think like you talk to people who watch uh, Warehouse 13, right, right, all the time. So for you, it probably seems like everybody watches Warehouse 13. 
Yeah, it's very true. Actually, I never really thought about it like that, but it is very, very segmented. Yeah, so it's like you you miss out on these all these other things because there's so many things now. Whereas like my uh, the head writer Rob Long on Cheers or I'm sorry on Sullivan Sun used to be the head writer at the end of Cheers, hmm. and they'd they'd have like 40 million people watching that show yeah. like every week. Yeah, and that just and doesn't like, happen anymore. No, it's impossible. I mean, like the Super Bowl. Yeah. Or actually, actually, Big Bang Theory is like the biggest freaking show. Like 20 million people watch that every week. Wow. Which is crazy. And then the reruns they show on TBS uh, before Sullivan and Son, those are watched by so many people. Wow. I would say like six of the top 10 rated cable shows every week are Big Bang Theory reruns. That's insane. I mean, it's a good show. I like it, but there's better stuff out there, too. <laughs> Well, you're a geek. You're supposed to like Big Bang Theory. It's true. Although we we have had people on the show that were not fans, even though they find it insulting to geeks in a way. I think. Well, it's comedy. Yeah, yeah. You got to take some pokes here and there. You got to have a thick enough skin. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. They do. They do a nice job, though. It's a funny show. It's got jokes. I like jokes, and that's one of the things I think is good about Sullivan and Son. It's like it's an old school sitcom, mm-hmm. and it's actually funny. And a lot of uh, I don't know. There's, I think television's just changed so much where a lot of people don't really want to watch sitcoms because they want to try and like watch other, other different things mm. because there's so many like new ways of telling stories you see out there, whether it's adult swim shows or Kirby enthusiasm, uh, or even like modern family, the office, like that, that style mockumentary mm-hmm. show. But, uh, the thing about like the sitcom is it's just like a nice way to kick back and laugh. Oh, absolutely. It's a way it's it's the relaxation watching. You don't have to. There's a certain investment with watching those dramas like like uh, Mad Men, you said, or Dexter or something that takes a little more thought. But you don't always want that. Sometimes you just want to relax and laugh. And that's very therapeutic, too. Yeah, I love I mean, I love to laugh. That's one of the reasons that I worked. Like I said, I worked on these HBO one hour dramas for a while and uh, it was great. But at the same time, once I started doing some work in comedy, it was like, oh my god, we get to laugh all day long. <laughs> like you get to like you get to pitch jokes, hear other great writers make jokes, and just basically try and like crack each other up all day long. And once I like found that, it was like, oh yeah, this is what I have to do for a career. <laughs> I've always been curious about that process too. Like, how does how does that episode like come together? Do you guys all come in with separate ideas and start tossing them around, and then like? focus on one and start breaking that down or does someone kind of take the lead on one given script or another and how does that work uh it sort of works uh, basically everything what you said is true okay <laughs> at the same time yeah the general idea like of how we put together a show is so basically the bosses of our show which would be rob long the showrunner by the way rob great name yeah oh, and I agree. <laughs> uh and so and vince vaughn oh all right wow Yep, and he's part of the show, and Steve Byrne. So, like, at the beginning of the season, like, these guys have some ideas for, like, stories they want to do and that sort of thing. And then they also try and make sure, like, because we only have 10 episodes, mm-hmm. that the episodes are different. And it's not like we – so we don't want to do similar stories. Mm. So we want to kind of mix it up. And so basically the big bosses try and direct, like, the, the flow of the whole season. And then uh, we'll come up with ideas, and then an individual – come with an ideas like as a group and like the the bosses will go okay let's do these ideas then an individual writer gets assigned a script and then we'll go off and work on it and then hand in the script and then the whole group gets to make it better together hmm. 
Is there are there different people that focus on like plot points versus dialogue? Because I feel like they're very two different devices. I think in comedy, there's like uh, two different types of writers. There's like story based writers, and then there's joke based writers. Uh, you know, they they both have to be good at both of them. But some people like you know they'll really focus on being like, okay, this is where we need this story to be clear because it's got to make sense when we do this next thing. And there's other people who will just spit the most hilarious stuff out of their mouth. Uh, like a like a sniper. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have any particular episodes that you were really involved in that you're very proud of? Uh, well, this season there will be one where uh, you know I got to take the lead on it and write the script, which is uh, the first time I've gotten to you know be the boss of my own episode. So I'm especially excited about that, and I would say it's a it's a very memorable one too. Cool. Is there a name on that one that we could know so we can look out for it, or or maybe which one it will be? Uh, the episode title, unless it changes, is called Over the Edge. Okay. And that will be on TBS sometime this summer. Coincidentally, that's the same name of one of my favorite Batman the Animated Series episodes. So. <laughs> well, it was, it was not a tribute, but uh, if you want to think of it that way, you can. Yeah, well, it'll help me remember it at least, so that way I'll know what to look out for. <laughs> oh, oh, let me tell you something that might make your knees weak. Uh-oh. So, uh, Sullivan & Son is produced by Warner Brothers. Oh, no. As well as, <laughs> as, well as TBS. Yeah. So I literally work in the building next to where the Batmobiles are. Oh, my God. That is awesome. And I didn't even know that for like the past six months until someone's like, just because it's like Warner Brothers is huge. And there's a lot of stuff like you see it and you're like, oh, this is this is something cool. I see what this is. But there's other buildings that are just kind of nondescript. Someone's like, "Uh, hey, you got to see the Batmobiles next door. I'm like, Next door, that random <laughs> building. And it's like all the, they call it the Warner Brothers Auto Museum. And it's all like the different picture cars from. Oh, my they, God. They had something from Gran Torino, something from Harry Potter, uh, Dukes of Hazard, And then all, all the Batmobiles except for the, the original TV one. But I have seen that also on Warner Brothers anyway. So oh, my also. God. I was like, I think it was like a week or two ago that I was talking about on the show that I'm insanely excited because. At the Rhode Island Comic Con this year, they're bringing over the screen-used 1989 Tim Burton Batmobile, and that is like my favorite car of all time, and I just lost my shit. So if that was next door, I might never leave that building ever. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's cool because, uh, like I said, I've been in Los Angeles nine years, and I've worked on all these different TV shows, but not until Sullivan and Son did I really regularly work on a big studio lot. Hmm. And it, it, it kind of feels like I'm in show business. And before, it was never quite like that, hmm. if that makes any sense. Because now, like, I see stuff happening all the time. Like, oh, there's these random celebrities walking by or people taking tours because they want to see the Batmobiles. Right, right. Or, like, a 100 trucks just pulled up to load in all the gear for the voice. And, like, stuff like that. It's uh, Or I was at the, I don't know if you've seen the show Mike and Molly. I've heard of it. So uh, Billy Gardell, who plays Mike on that show, a really, really funny comic and nice guy, uh, he, uh, I saw him in the commissary, like our, you know, our big cafeteria, and he's wearing his police uniform from the show, mm-hmm. and he's just like getting some food on his tray, and it looks like a cop, but it's like, oh, it's the guy from that hit show, Mike and Molly. <laughs> just Stuff like yeah. this is cool. Huh. That, that, that'd take me like a second just to get used to, like, oh, I'm going to bump into all these people that I'm used to seeing on TV, and... 
or the well, let me tell you, those Batmobiles are impressive. And if uh, you're in Southern California anytime soon, I'll take you. Uh, I think we're actually taking a trip out there this summer for a couple of days, so I might have to hit you up. If you're gonna be in LA, I will take you to see the Batmobiles. Oh my god, <laughs> you just made my summer. Um, but, uh, here's another thing that I like to ask creative types, of which you obviously are, and I'll, I'll put it into a frame of reference too, just so you know where I'm coming from. But um, myself and my usual co-hosts were both professional wrestlers for about seven years. Um, really? Yeah, yeah. We were on the independent circuit throughout New England and everything. Oh, that's so cool. We never made the big time, but you know. It was fun to do while we did it. Yeah. But one of the things that I ran into while doing it is I kind of hit that like magician peeking behind the curtain thing. And it kind of disillusioned me to the enjoyment I had of watching it. Like I don't watch wrestling anymore now because I can predict everything that's going to happen because there's a certain kind of psychology and all that. So like the magician, I peeked behind the curtain and that kind of took away some of the enjoyment for me. Have you run into that at all, being on the other side of like putting these shows together? Or can you can you watch anything and not think about the writing and just enjoy it for what it is? Uh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense what you're saying. There's a few different versions of what you're saying. Okay. Uh, and I'll explain. But first of all, let me say that's so cool you're a professional wrestler. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I, I understand you are not Hollywood Hulk Hogan here, but that's fantastic. Yeah, it was fun. Um, it's nice to throw on a mask. I, I like, well, if anything, I saw my mask and it's the same guy who made Canes. So I'm, I'm proud of that at least. Oh, nice. I definitely had a professional wrestling phase where I was way into it. And I used to go see ECW back in the 90s. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that was uh, that was pretty insane, but uh, it was great for high school me. <laughs> I only got into it in college, which was strange. I was post all that stuff, like at the end of the Attitude Era. You're a purist yeah. or something like yeah, that. I don't know. <laughs> so the show Deadwood I worked on yep. is sort of like critically acclaimed as one of the best shows of all time. And I mean, it really is. It's a, it's really, really amazing. But it took me a couple of years to be able to watch and enjoy that show because I would watch the show and be like, oh, I remember what we were doing that day. I remember what happened that day or like, oh, here's where the cameras were. But, oh, here's where I was sitting, mm -hmm. that sort of thing. Hmm. So now I can relax a little bit and enjoy the show. But it did take a while. Uh, so yesterday I was hanging out with my 15 year old cousin and we were talking about the actor Woody Harrelson because he liked, liked something he was in. I was like, you know, Woody was in this great show called Cheers. He's like, what's Cheers? Oh, wow. <laughs> and I was like, Cheers is like my favorite sitcom. And my 15-year-old cousin's pretty cool. And uh, I threw Cheers up on Netflix, and he got to see Woody with all this hair. And he's like, oh, this is pretty funny. Let's watch some more. I'm like, you, you're 15, and you want to watch more Cheers? Wow, this is the greatest day of my life. So Yeah, wow. Right. So we like, watched Cheers all afternoon. But now that I work on a sitcom in a bar, I saw them do some like, tactics that like we do because uh usually in a sitcom when you like end part of a scene and you need to move on to something else and you're not changing sets you need that person to like walk away hmm. so a lot of times i would like see people like tell a joke and walk away so you can focus on like a new conversation and really in a bar like you don't have to move around all that much right and then so I would like kind of noticed at one point that there was like two different people who like changed seats so that one could be part of the thing. The other just left. And and so that like took it, it took me out of it a little bit, but I still very much enjoyed it. Wow, that's interesting. Um, and you mentioned Cheers being one of your favorite shows. Do you have any other like favorite sitcoms that you kind of go to as your or as your go to's? <laughs> Cheers is my big one, and I'm definitely geeking out on it currently because uh, there's 11 seasons on Netflix. And so I just said, you know what? Let me watch Cheers from the beginning. 
And I'm like 50 episodes in and I have so many more to go. I did that with Seinfeld a few years ago, and I never realized how how well they stick to continuity. Like they'll reference something in season two, like in season seven as almost a throwaway joke. And if you don't remember that that little thing happened in two, then you wouldn't get it. But since I kind of binge watched it, I had the the recent memory. Right. Last summer I worked on It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia for half the season. And that's a show where they definitely they definitely reference old stuff. Oh, yeah. Like in the script for like the people who work on the show. So they knew what it was. It it would like make a reference to be like, uh, that's to do with season three, episode four. Oh, wow. I always appreciate that as a fan that they're going to give a little bit of fan loyalty service there. Yeah, there's something called, uh, I think, well, these are called 2% jokes, where sometimes like you'll make a joke that only 2% of your audience will get, but they'll absolutely just love it the most. Yeah. (laughs) So I think some of those sort of callbacks are like that, too. What other uh, shows do you really get into as far as sitcoms go? Um, I I love Kirby Enthusiasm. I've seen bits and pieces here and there. Yeah, I definitely definitely love that show. and just in terms of general comedies, I, I love Louie, even though it's not very, very funny. Oh, really? I've heard, uh, as far as comedians go, at least, a lot of comedians are very, very much into Louie. Louie's great, um, the person in the show. But the show is, uh, it sort of like deconstructs comedy to like really get to the, the pain and the truth of it. Oh, wow. And, it, and in doing that, it's not very funny a lot of times. Hmm. It's like straight up drama, but at the same time, it's like uh, it's a really, really good show, and it's got his stand up in it, sort of like the way they would wrap around the Seinfeld episodes. Oh, okay. So that's always, yeah, that's funny too. Uh, I'll I'll watch Workaholics occasionally. Okay, I should watch more Seinfeld. I feel like I should definitely go back. Uh, you know, there's a bunch of British shows that I watch that I absolutely love. The show that is like my go to is a Steve Coogan show from the late 90s, early 2000s called I'm Alan Partridge. I've totally... And they're coming out with a movie based on that, actually. Is it, yeah, a movie comes out, this I think, this summer. Yeah, yeah. And it was... Ba- so did you ever see The British Office? I did, I did. So the idea of like that main character, David Brent, who's like the... He's the person in power, but he's also like a buffoon who's arrogant. Mm-hmm, yeah. Like the idea of that character was very much alive before that show with... Steve Coogan's Alan Partridge, and I, I I love that show. Yeah, I watched the uh, I watched the trailer for the movie, and I was like, I feel like I'm missing something here because <laughs> yeah. I didn't even know there was a show prior. Yeah, the idea of that show is he's a uh, like a talk show ho- a failed talk show host, mm-hmm. and they they did a series of his fake talk show, which was pretty funny, but it wasn't nearly for me anywhere as close to as good as like the sitcom they did, which was oh what happens when you go into this guy's life. Hmm. And he gets his talk show taken off the air. Yeah. And has to do, like crappy overnight radio in the middle of England. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, you should definitely go back and check out Seinfeld, too, especially if you're a Curb Your Enthusiasm fan. I, I would think since it's still Larry David, it's all the same kind of humor. Yeah. Oh, I, lo- I love Seinfeld. I just haven't watched it in the past few years. Oh, okay. Do you watch, you mentioned Modern Family earlier, too. Do you watch that one at all? I do. I do. Modern Family is a fantastic show. Um, and one of the things about it that I think is cool is. There's not like I can't think of any other comedy where a whole family is going to sit down and watch it because I know kids that love that show. I know people my age that love that show, middle-aged people and, you know, people in their 60s like all love Modern Family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, I love it. It's probably my favorite sitcom that's on right now. 
But I don't know if it's... Well, I don't know. I feel like people are using it as a standard and saying that it's like a highbrow sitcom compared to something like Big Bang Theory that's a lowerbrow sitcom. Like, why are we even making the distinction there? I don't know. Well, I think funny is funny. Yeah, absolutely. If you can make someone laugh with a fart or if you can (laughs) construct something really well, it really shouldn't matter. A laugh's a laugh. The secret about Modern Family is that it's like a dream team of comedy writers on that show mm-hmm. who all come from sitcoms. Oh, okay. Like just traditional multi-camera, old school stuff like Big Bang Theory. Yeah, it's Hall of Famers. And they just, but they do the, the single camera style, so it looks a little bit nicer. When you got into writing, did you have comedy in mind or did you just want to be a writer? Uh, I'd always loved comedy i did like a little bit of stand-up in college then i retired because i was like why do i want to be in a comedy club on a saturday night i should be drinking <laughs> to excess uh so i retired i think at 19 or 20 but uh i used the r- word retired to pretend like it was serious which it wasn't that's but, right i retired from wrestling too and it was never <laughs> really serious well seven years though that's that's a serious commitment i would like one show a month Oh, all right. That counts. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure your knees still remember that she oh, did seven. Years. Yeah, the surgery does. <laughs> oh, geez. There you go. But I, yeah, I'd always like comedy, but I just started working for this guy, David Milch, who created Deadwood. And before that, he did NYPD Blue and Hill Street Blues. And he's like one of the, he's one of the greats. And he basically encouraged me to stick with the HBO type one hour drama stuff. And I figured like, oh, if he thinks I can do it and if and this is pretty fun and I like it, you know, let me pursue this. But it wasn't until I started doing some side work on comedies where it was like, oh, yeah, this is this fits like a glove. Now, how do you even break into writing? Because there's people I'm sure we have tons of listeners that are writers themselves because it is kind of a creative show. How would you even suggest somebody take that step? Like you can write and write and write, but how do you ever get someone to see that to where they're going to hire you for a job? Well, first of all, most people do not write, write and write. Oh, well, that's problem one right there. Then. <laughs> that That is the thing. Yeah, it's um, I find that people who are the most like genuine, authentic writers who you go, oh, there's no doubt this guy's a writer. Mm-hmm. Which I include myself as. But most of those people like don't love to write. Hmm. In the sense of like, like I know for me, I love everything to do with writing, um, and the the feeling of accomplishment when you finish something is like the greatest experience I I have in my life. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to actually sitting down to do it, like once I'm doing it, it's cool. But it's just like that period of trying to do it and actually getting started and clearing the time, like that just. I hate that part of it. And I think a lot of writers do. So it's, you gotta, you gotta fight through that as much as possible. Yeah. And I, I can somewhat sympathize. I just, well, not just started over the last year or so I've been writing cause I'm trying to get into stand up too. So, cool. but one of the things I wanted to ask too, as a writer, when you're just not in that mode and you know, like you get that like Zen state where you're, you're just cranking along, but when you're not in that mode and you have a deadline, what do you do about that? Yeah, well, when you have a deadline, that's when you that's when you do it. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, giving a writer a deadline is the best way to make sure the work gets done. Yeah. Do you have any go tos that you use for inspiration? Or there actually, there's a there's a technique called the Pomodoro technique mm-hmm. that uh, one writer taught me. I use it all the time. It's really helpful. It's and there's an there's actually uh, an app you can get. I have it on my laptop. I don't know if it's available like in the app store for your phone. It's called Focus Booster. Okay. And 
And so I recommend Focus Booster. The idea of the Pomodoro technique is, so in Italy, those little kitchen timers are shaped like uh, tomatoes, mm -hmm. which, which the Italian word for it is Pomodoro. Hmm. And so, so some Italian guy figured out if he sets his little Pomodoro timer for 25 minutes, he can absolutely focus on whatever that task is really, really well for 25 minutes. And then at the end of 25 minutes, he gets a five-minute break to do whatever else he wants. Hmm. And then he does that process for a couple hours. And after like three hours, he would give himself like a full 25 minute like Pomodoro like break to go do something else Yeah. before getting back to work. So what I find for me, it's like when I'm really trying to focus, I'll just I'll pop up this focus booster app and do the Pomodoro technique and say to myself like, OK, I don't have to check my email. I don't have to look at Facebook or all these other sites that I just am so addicted to. And I can focus on my thing for the 25 minutes. And then for five minutes, I can binge on all that stuff. I yeah. <laughs> can check my voicemail, whatever it is, and then go right back into it. Huh, that's interesting. Yeah, and the thing about it is I'm not necessarily perfect with those 25 minutes, but I'm very close and a lot closer than I would be otherwise. And I'm like, I really will lock myself in so much better. So I've gotten so much work done because of the Pomodoro technique. Mm -hmm. And I, ha I have a lot of trouble focusing, but it's really helpful to tell myself, like, I don't have to focus all day. I don't have to focus all week. Just do this 25-minute period of time, and then afterwards, I can screw around however I want for five minutes. And, like, that is a very nice thing. Oh, yeah, that sounds a lot nicer because, I mean, you think about how often your task is so huge and where am I even going to start, and you're thinking about the enormity of it all instead of just, if I can start and just, just do 25 minutes and that's it, then yeah, done, yeah. It also depends like depends what kind of writing you're doing. So I've I've written essays, I've you know written articles, done all sorts of like journalism, written scripts and but I have a friend of mine who's a novelist and his stuff is so long. Hmm. And he will I'll talk I'll be like, "Oh, what'd you do Friday night?" He'll say, "Oh, I wrote 25,000 words." I'm like 25,000 words like that that's like more than I'll write and I don't even know. Like, that's so much time. But it's because what he's trying to do is a super long thing. Mm -hmm. He can do that sort of thing. But, like, when you're writing a television script, the final product has got to be, for a half-hour show, only 21 minutes long. So you have to do so much compression. Or, like, you, when you're writing jokes, there's so much compression involved because you got to get to the point. you got to say it in a clear way. Mm -hmm. And especially with comedy, if people don't understand it, they can't laugh at it. True, yeah. And so the type of writing I do, I just like can't sit there and write all day, even if I want to, because you got to think about it in different ways. And like the the internal dynamics of a scene, it's got to start out with a certain energy and it's got to end with a certain energy. And so there's all these different things to think about. So it's nice for me to in that 25 period of t minute uh, period of time to focus like that. Since I started writing stand up, I get these little uh, like. I don't know, you get these like little one-liner nugget jokes that kind of pop in here and there, but you don't always find a place to kind of wedge them into the bigger set of what you have in mind. So do you ever have things like that that you write that are just like maybe a line or two that you think are really, really funny, and you just can't seem to figure out a way to get it into a scene, into the show, and you end up like trying crowbarring in, and I don't know, what do you do with stuff like that? Uh, what I found is like once once you go pro with this stuff, yeah you got to learn to throw that stuff away yeah. because you like, you just trust in your ability that, okay, I'll come up with something that does work. Mm. 
that's not fighting against what I'm doing. And I'll have like a list of ideas I'll come up with for the show or like in my phone or like, oh, wouldn't it be funny if this character was in this situation? But if it's never, if it doesn't ever fit, you know, just throw it away and just keep figuring out stuff that will fit. And I imagine your your job, too, is like even though you might have set hours where you should be writing or whatever, do you just kind of wherever you are, no matter what it is, if you get an idea, it's it's go time. Yeah, uh, it's go time in terms of like I'll write down the idea. Yeah, but I won't necessarily just like all of a sudden clear clear an hour to write. Right, right, right. <laughs> but I definitely try and schedule regular time to write. Do you have set hours that you need to be writing all the time or is it kind of like a meet? every so often at the studio and work on your own for the most part? Well, with TV, like it depends what part of the production you're in. Okay. Like if you're shooting an episode that week, like you guys are all focused on that episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe a little bit on like the next one, but like the episode takes a lot of focus, so you can't do too much else. So we'll have different hours based upon what we're actually doing or like uh, if we have a, a production week off to catch up on writing, we'll have different hours or if we're we're preparing for the season. We'll have different hours. So we pretty much all get together every day at some point. Cool. Um, do you want to get a little geeky? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Uh, we play a game every now and then when we have someone on. And this is a game called This or That, where basically I will give you two, maybe three options for some of these. Just give a quick response as to which one you prefer, and then we'll go back and kind of address them all individually. Okay. All right. Uh, so the first one is Star Wars or Star Trek. Star Wars. Uh, zombies or robots? Neither. Not, ooh. No, 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 robots. Okay. <laughs> Live action or cartoon? Live action. Xbox, PlayStation, or Nintendo? Nintendo 8-bit. Oh, wow. Old school. Yeah. Uh, PC or Mac? Mac. Marvel or DC? Marvel. All right. Let's go back. Okay. Uh, so Star Wars over Star Trek? Yeah. Uh, Star Wars always just spoke to me star trek was always there but just didn't speak to me uh how about the the new stuff are you feeling that at all or does that still feel like old trek oh uh i mean star trek just never connected with me really but yeah but star wars you know the original three fantastic the second three i saw them all in the theater and i enjoyed that experience and even bought a few toys along the way but then the new star wars i'm just i'm over it like i just don't yeah like, I don't have faith in them, so I would rather just, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I won't get excited for it, but I'll see it. Yeah, because <laughs> we're, we're loyalists and we do it anyway. Yeah, Star, look, Star, Star Wars, I'm in. I'll see all that stuff. But when it comes to, like, the different, like, comic books and all these things, I don't really need them. Yeah, it's funny, too, because all the <laughs> I really want to go over these because you're almost opposite me, which is very interesting. <laughs> um, zombies or robots, you said robots, and that one I'm definitely on board with you. Uh, that's mostly a Daft Punk thing. Oh, okay. <laughs> so you're not like a Walking Dead fan or anything? Because I think I'm the only one on my show that doesn't watch it. Um, I don't watch it, no. Um, also for me, it's like I have a very addictive personality, and I've literally been addicted to plenty of things. Mm-hmm. And for Walking Dead, I I don't think of Walking Dead as like, oh, I should check out that show. I think of that as like, okay, there's 36 hours that I have to do if I want to see Walking Dead. Yeah. So that's why I'm not going to that's why I'm just not excited to see Walking Dead because it feels like, oh, geez, that means I have to do all of it. Yeah, that makes sense. It's overwhelming. I have certain video games that I haven't touched because I I bought them years ago and the time investment is just overwhelming to me. 
well, Rob, that's why I don't keep a video game system in my house. Oh, really? Wow. Because my life would be over. And I already like, I already uh, blow my time on so many other things and I work a lot. Yeah. And it's like I put together my podcast man school, which is a lot of work. And so I like to, I like to try and do productive stuff that I like to do and unwind in different ways. But video games would just be the end of me. Yeah. I've definitely gotten into that phase a little bit more uh, over the last few years that everything I want to do, I want to have some sort of an outcome or a product or uh, I like doing the creative stuff. And I actually started one of the reasons I started the podcast was to get like maybe like free movie screeners and video games and stuff. And now I realize I'm taking all my time doing my show and my site and I have less time to consume all these things that I wanted to get more of. Yeah, it's a catch 22 right there. It is, it is, but it's a, it's a fun catch-22 to have. It is. Uh, live action over cartoon. Yeah, cartoons, I I like plenty plenty of like Adult Swim kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Or South Park, I still watch. Oh, but, great show. Yeah, but live action just uh, works for me. And especially because like so many of these live action films look so good. Yeah, they do. Like uh, The Avengers is sort of like a cartoon anyway, yeah, there's almost as much cartoon in it, even though you wouldn't think of it as or classify it as cartoon um, as there is live action. Yeah, or I saw the movie uh, 42 last night, the Jackie Robinson film. Oh, how was that? Because I've heard it's kind of like a glorified TV movie. Uh, well, it's a little predictable. Yeah. In the same well, way yeah. Ti- <laughs> Titanic's predictable. Sure. I enjoyed it. Uh, it was cool to see it on the big screen, and it's because it's, it's a good, like, big cinematic film. But there was some uh, some graphic visual arts work in that film. Like, there's this one scene that was an old baseball stadium that I know they did not build the whole baseball stadium for yep, this one yep. scene. <laughs> and so I could kind of figure out, like, oh, this is uh, this is some graphics work that's really really good. And so I like all appreciate stuff like that. But uh, live action, please. Yeah. Uh, 8-bit Nintendo, so you're old school. You haven't really gotten around to the new stuff, or is that what you're trying to stay away from? Oh, I yeah, I try and stay away from the new stuff, but I feel like when I was like 14, so like mid-90s, there was a switch where all of a sudden all my friends were playing the Bond game. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. And they just wanted to shoot everybody all day long. And I'm like, no, guys, let's. what about Zelda? What about Mario? Those yeah. are my friends. And even like the princess and Yoshi like so I love those those Nintendo 8-bit games and uh even like the 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 Nintendo that followed uh I I loved all that stuff but then when people just wanted to shoot each other all day like I I didn't like that like that's not it's not what I like video game wise and that mentality's kind of prevailed with all the Call of Duty and all that stuff and I'm not into those games either I just don't get it yeah you know I I understand people people love it but for me it just doesn't work yeah I need a good story myself I like I like having something to accomplish. Yeah, that's more like you said, like story based and not like uh, let's just get the most points and the most guns, that sort of thing. You know, I like with uh, Zelda, it's like, okay, this is a this is a very clear and exciting mission. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then you feel like like you said, like you accomplish something, even if it's not anything tangible. It feels productive a little bit. Yeah. yeah there you go. <laughs> um, your Mac over PC. Big time. Yeah. Big time. Yeah, uh, retired PC user. I'll never go back. Oh, now why is that? I was a, I was a PC guy for, up until I was probably 25. And uh, I stood by it, and I, I knew how to use it really well. I could make that thing sing. And then uh, decided to switch over, get a Mac laptop. And it was like, oh, I was wrong. <laughs> I was very wrong. 
uh, one of the things that's constantly come up on the show, and it's not even because we're all um, Mac users in some way or another. Like, I think we all have iPhones, except for maybe one of our co-hosts. But since Steve Jobs passed away, we have noticed kind of a steady decline on the quality of things that Apple's putting out. I don't know if you've noticed that as well. I was, yeah, I would say that's a fair comment. Especially the podcasts app. <laughs> you know, they did fix it, though. I will say it, the, the recent upgrade for the Apple podcast app, and I don't know if people know this, but for the iPhone, Apple decided to move podcasts off of iTunes mm-hmm. and cre- create a separate app uh, just called Podcasts. And the early version of it did not work very well. That was atrocious. Yeah, and a lot of times it like screwed people up downloading things at the wrong time and you know screwing up their data plans. Uh, but now they fixed it. It looks good. It's not perfect, but it works for me. Yeah, it is better. I'm a little still miffed that they removed it out of the the music app because why not just give us the option? I know, I know. I'm I'm with you on that. But also, there's a lot of good, enjoyable iPhone apps for podcast people too. Oh, really? There's an app called Podbay that okay. works like a works like a dream. It's got all the same stuff that's in the iTunes store. Uh, there's a for my podcast man school i don't have an app yet but it's part of the sideshow network there's a sideshow network app that's good okay the stitcher radio app is great that actually has been really well uh really good yeah stitcher has yeah stitcher streams things so you don't have to actually download it yeah but they they use such a type of technology where you don't have to stream large files like they figure out how to just spit it to you bit by bit in a way that you can, you know, just be walking down the street, no special Wi-Fi data coverage, and you get a good podcast coming in. Yeah, and I feel like almost every podcast needs to be on Stitcher nowadays, because from what I've heard, it's going to start getting into cars and everything, too. Uh, yeah, I have a 2013 car, which, uh, not to brag, that's this year, <laughs> Rob. Wow, that's quick work. And it's got a, it's got a USB drive. Oh, no kidding. Oh, I, it's amazing because I can just plug in, you know, my flash drive. I could plug in an external hard drive if I wanted, but the Bluetooth for my iPhone to my car is perfect. I mean, I just have like podcasts that automatically download on my iPhone, you know, overnight while I'm sleeping at mm-hmm. home. And then I just pop in my car in the morning and I just press a button and bam, it's like I, you know, it's like almost like I don't even need to have Stitcher radio in my car because it, that works so well. But. Yeah, that's great. I wish. Well, my car is 2005, so I'm still I'm getting there. And the other thing I have, which is really cool, is so the Bluetooth for the telephone in my Hyundai Sonata above my head is a microphone. So all I have to do is like press a button on my steering wheel to answer a call. Just start talking and the mic above my head picks up the call. And then no kidding. the other person comes out of the speaker. So it's so easy. That is awesome. I would imagine there would be a lot of echo, but they must have dealt with that in some way. Exactly. Yeah, they've they totally figured it out. I've like I've asked people like, how does this sound compared to you know me talking on my phone or doing this different stuff? And everybody says it sounds great. Wow. I just pretend I was talking to Jarvis all the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, I pretend it's a kit from Knight Rider. Oh, nice. Which we had a revelation like on the last show. I told one of my co-hosts who did the voice of Kit and he lost it. Mr. Feeney. Yes. It's amazing. Yeah. Most people, I don't think, know that. Uh, and here's a Hollywood insider tip for you. Oh, yeah. They're doing a new show called Girl Meets World. Yes, we're very excited about it. Mr. Feeney's going to be in it. Yes. Uh, they tweeted out, someone tweeted out or Instagrammed a, a picture of him on the pilot set. Although they haven't said if he's going to be in Beyond the Pilot or not. Uh, he is. Oh, he is? Yes. That's exciting. We're pumped about that. Thank you. And the last one was Marvel vs. DC. 
I like the Marvel movies better. That's why. Oh, okay. So you don't read the books at all, or? I did. I did. I had like a comic book phase in middle school mm-hmm. where, let's see here, I read like things like Spawn. Like that was like a new new comic I liked. Yep. Then. Yep. Or what was the, the comic imprint? Valiant. That's the thing, right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I used to read a bunch of like Valiant comics and I, I did like all that stuff, but uh, I think I just kind of moved on. Discover things like pot and alcohol. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, you, you got more into sports and things like that in high school, but uh, never really picked the comics back up. But always kind of had that appreciation there. And so, like, when people tell me how much they love comics, like, I get it. I get it. I definitely had that phase. But uh, for me, again, it's just a it's a big time, big big time waste. I'm afraid of. So I'll I'll go see the movies, but uh, the Marvel movies I like, and then. Since I work at Warner Brothers, I do love DC and the Batmobiles. <laughs> yeah, but uh, that that Avengers movie, I just I just loved it. Oh, it was unbelievable! It, like I'm I'm a DC guy, but I can't I can't say that Avengers wasn't absolutely amazing and probably the best comic book movie. It was 20 minutes too long, but that's okay. Yeah, <laughs> the first 20 minutes. Well, you basically had yeah, I mean that definitely that, but yeah. you just have all these stars you have to give their screen time to. Oh yeah. I'm very excited to see what they got coming out next. I mean, Iron Man 3 is right around the corner. Yeah, I uh, I did not see Iron Man 2 because it looked stupid to me. It was. Yeah, that's the thing. So, And everybody said that, so I never saw it anyway. But I love the first Iron Man. And if they can uh, they can get back to the first one with this film, I'll be excited. But uh, summer, I'll tell you the two summer films I'm excited for, not that you asked. <laughs> well, we'll be doing that on the show very soon, so I'd love to hear. Okay, Hangover 3. Yep. Because in this film, it's not about a hangover. They've taken these characters and they're going to put them in a new situation. Yeah, thank God. Because uh, did you see two? I was not impressed at all. I did. I, I understand what you're saying. Yeah. There. yeah. I, but with the third one, um, it's going to be mostly uh, Zach Galifianakis' character in some kind of battle against Ken Jong's Mr. Chow character. That's fantastic. Yeah, and then also, so my boss, Vince Vaughn, uh, he's reteaming with Owen Wilson for the first time since Wedding Crashers. Oh, yeah. And they're they're doing a movie called The Internships, where they play interns at Google. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that looks pretty funny. And actually, until you mentioned that they were reuniting from Wedding Crashers, when I watched the trailer for The Internship, I didn't even realize, I like, I, that thought didn't cross my mind, and I love Wedding Crashers. Yeah, Wedding Crashers holds up, too. Uh, I mean, it's just a... Just to, it's like just like a really good, funny movie about like uh, these interesting people who are not like cartoon characters. Yeah, and it's, this is a fun. It's a fun journey. But so they're coming back, and and I guess the the they do a lot of testing before the films come out, mm-hmm. different audiences. And I guess this one is testing through the roof, and uh, L.A. is covered in posters already for this film. So oh, wow. let's see, studios excited. Awesome. Have you ever like gone into or explored the movie writing aspect or done any of that on your own? Or? You know, I don't I don't actually like it because uh, in TV, the writers get to be the producers. Oh, OK. It's a collaborative thing with like a team of writers. But in films, it's pretty isolating. Like you basically just have to go off with, you know, by yourself or with a partner, hmm. pull up, write a script. And then if somebody buys it from you, they pay they release you from the project typically. Right, right. And for me, I like TV because you get to be around other people. And I, I like other people, and I don't want that like solitary writer life that like a novelist or a film writer would have. And uh, it's just fun. You get to be, you get to laugh all day. 
That makes sense. I wouldn't. I didn't really ever think of that. Like disconnect between the two. I wonder what would happen if you took like a TV crew and had them write a movie in the same way that they write TV. I mean, I'm sure it's been done before, but one of the the nice things about like TV, especially what we do in a sitcom, is you you test out a lot of the material before you actually air it because mm-hmm. you you re you rehearse every day, and so you get to like see the actors on the stage, and the whole crew watches it, and you hear what people laugh at, and you go, okay, maybe that joke was good, but we could do a better job, or wow, that joke really died. So they'll they'll actually have the cast perform the show before the show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for a whole week. Oh wow. And we see the show every day, and you just uh, try and make it better every day. That can't be easy as an actor either to, to do those scenes over and over again. Yeah, there's a lot of because uh, you got to memorize a new script every night, basically. Wow, that's a lot more work than I would imagine. <laughs> but at the same time, if you're a sitcom actor, it's the best job in television because the hours are very good. Yeah, that I've heard as well. If they're, if you're working on the, the Walking Dead, you're you could be in like your trailer for eight hours waiting for your scene. And something like that, or then then you got to like be out there for six hours, and then I don't know. It's it's a lot of work on shows like that. But then with sitcoms, you you kind of work as an actor nine to five, and then so you have plenty of time to memorize your lines, which is good. Sure. All right. Well, uh, we've done about an hour, so it's probably a good time to start wrapping up. Do you have? Well, I'm sure you have tons of stuff you want to plug. Why don't you give out some of those so our listeners can get tuned in? Well, the big thing I, I love people to check out is man school and i thank you so much for your endorsement of the show and i think it's a i think it's a really good show um and i'm really happy with the show and i look forward to what happens next and that's easily found on itunes man school with caleb bacon or manschoolshow.com or twitter at manschoolshow there's a pinterest um my instagram is at caleb bacon also twitter at caleb eats bacon Everywhere. CalebBacon.com, Facebook. What else? I don't know. I think that's good enough. <laughs> it's crazy how tapped in we have to be these days to get anything done, isn't it? Well, I also love the distractions. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Me too. I just discovered Instagram not that long ago. And if you go to my account at Caleb Bacon, you can see some Batmobile pics. Oh, I will add that in right now. <laughs> For people to check out the stuff we do, head over to thegeekgeneration.com. If you use iTunes while you're checking out Man School. Also, uh, rate the show and write a review for both because people don't realize how important those iTunes reviews really are. Uh, like us over at Facebook.com slash The Geek Generation. Follow us at Geek Generation on Twitter and Pinterest. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at The Night Angel. You can send emails to podcast at thegeekgeneration.com. And as always, the show theme is provided by Machine Supremacy. A link to their site can also be found on our site. So, Caleb Bacon, thank you so much for coming on and spending this time with us today. Well, thank you, Rob. I appreciate you having me. And I just want to, uh, can we do your official catchphrase together? Which, I have a catchphrase? Yeah, your, your catchphrase is, okay, we'll do it on three. One. Is it, let's get out of here? <laughs> it's one, two, three. Let's be geeks this week, everybody. Isn't that your catchphrase? Uh, it is now. Oh, okay. All right. Well, if it's, uh, if it's, if that's not your catchphrase, you can, you can have it. Okay. I will take that and I will make it mine. Or, in fact, I don't think it was actually that good, but... Uh... <laughs> Our catchphrase will be, let's go listen to Man School. Oh, that's a good that's a good catchphrase. Yeah, yeah. All right, guys, so we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Make it so.